morning. I hope you're really enjoying your long weekend thus far. And even though this year may be a little different than how you've spent previous May long weekends, I hope you have a great chance to relax and maybe spend some time safely and in a healthy manner with friends and family. While the things that you have scheduled this weekend may not be as familiar for previous May long weekends, let's jump back into our book of Philippians that we've been studying, and hopefully that'll feel a little familiar for you at least. We're going to finish up chapter 3 today. If you're with us a couple weeks ago, we started the first couple verses here, and today we're going to continue and, and wrap up that section of this letter. And take a second right now, if you would, just to grab your Bibles or even at the, the sidebar on the screen, you'll see that it says Bible at the top there. If you click there, you can find our passage for today, which is found in Philippians chapter 3. Today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 21. And as you're finding that, let me just take a second and refresh you on what we had covered last time. Last time we were together. Uh, we talk about the first part of this book where Paul is clearly and vividly describing the spiritual journey that he himself has been on. And his journey started, like, like a lot of people's, where they initially have this trust in themselves, essentially. This idea that they can make themselves right before God through things like religious service and, and doing good deeds, and Paul himself, in the passage we looked at last time, he actually held a rather impressive resume. He could refer to his family, the heritage he came from. He could speak of the status that he had from his family and his heritage, but also as a Pharisee. And he said, on my resume, I've also got all these good deeds, these, these things I've done in service and honor and commitment to God. And, and he held this impressive resume as a means by which he could be made right with God. But then something happened. And he had this encounter with Jesus, and that changed everything. As we talked about last time, there was this paradigm shift that took place within him, where he came to realize that nothing in and of himself can make him right with God. That the only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ. And based upon that truth, he crumples up his old resume and throws it away because he knows that it is worthless that it is essentially garbage. And instead, he prepares a new resume for God. So that when he stands before God and hands God that piece of paper, there's only two words on it. And those two words are Jesus Christ. Now, that's where his journey started. And by the time that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he has been a follower of Jesus Christ for 30 years. That's most of his life at this point. Well over half of his life. Which is what makes the next statement in verse 10 rather curious. You see, as we pick up the text here now in verse 10, he opens that verse by saying, I want to know Christ. Well, after 30 years of being a follower of Jesus Christ, wouldn't you think, doesn't it make sense that he would know Christ? Well, he does. He does know Jesus. He met him 30 years ago on the road to Damascus. And if you want to read that story, you can find that in Acts chapter 9 and perhaps read that later today. That's where his journey started. That's where he was first introduced to Jesus. But ever since that day, he's been seeking an ever-deepening discovery, deepening awareness, deepening knowledge of who Jesus is and the difference Jesus can make in his life. I think many of us can relate to this, even from other relationships that we have. Like, for example, consider this year, Nadine and I will be married for 25 years. And, and I think after 25 years, I have the ability to say, 
I know Nadine. And, and yeah, and you can applaud her for sticking with me for 25 years because she knows me as well. <laughs> you know, and 25 years ago, when we got married, we said vows that were along the lines of, we're in this for, for better and for worse, for good, for bad, for richer, for poorer, when I'm a jerk and when I'm a sweetheart. It, we're in it for all seasons. And I can tell you confidently, after 25 years, we have experienced all of those seasons and more. And that each of those seasons adds to the depth of knowledge that we have for each other. But here's the thing. You see, just this past week, my parents celebrated their 52nd wedding anniversary. And while I may know Nadine, I may know a 25-year marriage, I don't know a 52-year marriage. I don't know what it means to love a person, to journey with a person, to know a person to the depth of 52 years. And some of you may have been married even longer than that, and you know what I mean. And this sort of reveals to us the fact that, in one sense, I actually don't truly know Nadine yet, because there's so much more I have yet to discover with her. And you see, so what Paul is seeking here is he seeking this ever-deepening experience with Jesus Christ, where the more that he knows of him, the deeper he experiences him, the closer he feels to him, and the more impact Christ can have in his life. And that leads him to say this. It leads him to say, I want to know Christ. But, but then he finishes it by finishing verse 10 and verse 11 with me. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his suffering, to become like him in his death and attaining somehow to the resurrection of the dead. You see, the journey that he's on, he wants to be on with Jesus in every way. He wants to walk in the footsteps of his Lord and Savior. He wants to know, how did Jesus endure suffering? How did Jesus face loss in his life? What did it look like in Jesus' life to celebrate victory? And, and once I experience and understand those things, I want to live them in my life, is what Paul's saying. This is his passion in this passage. This is what he earnestly desires, only for himself, but for his church in Philippi as well. And that is what I want to talk to you about today. Because my deep desire is for all of you to have a sense of this as well. Now you might look at your personal journey and say, you know, I, I'm kind of at that curious stage. I'm curious about Jesus. I, I haven't made that commitment. I'm not really in that personal relationship yet. If you're curious, I want to help you find reason today to say, I want to know Christ Maybe you're at more of a captivated stage where you have that faith. And it, it may be a new faith. It may be one that's been growing for a while. But regardless of what stage it's in, you sit back and go, you know what? This whole COVID thing, that just threw me for a loop. Like all my regular patterns, all the things that are familiar to me with going to church weekly, meeting with my small group, even just knowing kind of where to fit into my schedule, a prayer time or a chance to read my Bible, it's just all got thrown off. If you can relate with that, I want to help you today to renew that statement to say, I want to know Christ. And so maybe you're at the curious stage, maybe you're at the captivated stage, maybe you're at that committed stage. And you've been doing this like Paul for 30 years or more, and, and you are fully committed to this faith. But let me ask you, if you really just pause for a minute and are honest with yourself, have you plateaued? Like, are you still pressing forward? 
Are you still wanting to know more of Christ? Or at some point, did you reach a state where you said, you know what? I think I know enough. I think I'm comfortable enough. If you're honest with yourself and you find yourself in that place, hear me when I say you're not done. Just like Paul was not done. And today you can reaffirm that by saying, I want to know Christ. And so here's what I want you to do before we go any further. As an indication that you're tracking with me, that you understand what I'm talking about here, and that you see the relevance for your personal life, I want to invite you right now, just in that comment box, whether you're on Facebook or if you're on the West Meadows feed, just to type the phrase, I want to know Christ, and declare that in the comment box before we go any further. Thanks for doing that, because I believe that by the time we are done today, you'll have a new passion and understanding of how you can take steps towards that. So, as Paul expounds upon this in his own life a little further, he actually does so in the rest of chapter 3 here by revealing that he has two concerns. And the first one is this. Paul's first concern is that as the audience reads this letter he's writing, or even people of today as they read this letter, they're going to understand him as saying that he's already reached spiritual perfection. And if he's reached spiritual perfection, then that has implications for how you continue your journey. But Paul says, by no means. I haven't reached spiritual perfection yet. And he even goes on to say later on that he's not even sure if that's a reality, that's something he can even believe in on this side of heaven. And so in verse 12, he just clearly tells him in verse 12, it's not that I've already obtained all of this, the things he was talking about in verse 10 and 11. It's not that I've already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. And as he continues further, he likens his journey, to uh, uh, his, his, his spiritual journey, to a race. He uses the metaphor of like race language going forward from here. And we're not talking about a 100-meter sprint. He's talking more about a marathon. Now, a marathon, if you're not aware, is 42 kilometers. Now, right there, a lot of people probably just checked out going, why would I ever want to run 42 kilometers? Why would I ever want to run that far? I have a perfectly good car. I could drive that far. And that's the mindset that a lot of people have. But what he's going to talk about here reveals the power of the mindsets that we have. What he talks about here reveals the power of the perspective we have towards this race that is before us to run. And he's going to show us that if we have the proper focus and proper understanding of the race, we'll finish it. If we don't, we might have some other results. You see, consider, for example, if you start out in a marathon, if you chose to run a marathon, and you get to the start line, and you head out, and you just start with the mentality of going, you know, I'm going to do 5K and just see how I feel along the way. I'm just going to bang out 5K and then I'll decide if I'm going to go any further from there. If that's your mindset, what do you think is going to happen when you hit 5K? Well, you're probably going to start having a hard time going any further. You're going to feel your effort start to slow down a bit. You see, if we want to finish the race, we cannot be satisfied with a 5K mindset into a 42-kilometer race. The same is true for our spiritual journey. We can't have a 5K mindset. We can't believe that after we banged out five kilometers, we've arrived. We can't be satisfied that that is sufficient. We can't say, you know what? It's good enough. I'm just going to stop here. I'm done. We can't do that because we haven't crossed the finish line. 
here's Paul's perspective on this. You see, Paul, as I mentioned a moment ago, has been doing this for 30 years. For 30 years he's been doing it. And he still says, I'm not done. I have not crossed any finish line. I've got so much further to go. And, and he talks about his own journey like this in, in verse 12 through 14, where he says again, not that I have already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. And then he says to them, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it because one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul has run a good 30-year race so far, but he is not satisfied with what he has accomplished. That's not the mindset that he has. And I think we all understand this idea that we can't be looking backwards at what we've accomplished if we want to have success going forward. We know this when we are walking down the street. If you walk down the street texting, things may not go well. If you're riding your bike or driving a car and you're looking behind you, there's a good chance you're going to go off the road. You may find yourself in a ditch. Now, spiritually speaking, there's two ditches that we can actually find ourselves in in such a case. And think of it this way. If we have two different ditches when we look backwards into the past. One ditch is we look backwards and we see our sinfulness. We see our past failures. And if that is where our focus is, if that is where our mindset is, then what's going to happen in the present and in the future? What's going to lead to us having these feelings of shame? We may feel the sense of defeatedness. And the internal dialogue might be along the lines of, I'm never going to make it. What's the result? Effort starts to lag. We don't enjoy the journey. We don't enjoy the race. Perhaps we feel like we are getting nowhere and people tend to give up. But there's another ditch on the other side of the road. If we look backwards and instead of seeing sin and failure, if we see success and ability, well, that's a problem too because we can start to get rather comfortable. We can get rather smug at, at how well we're running and how well we're doing. And the internal dialogue can turn to, I got this. And what's the result there? Well, the result there is overconfidence. And when we get overconfident, our effort might start to plateau. We might start to hit one of those plateaus and, and we start to slow down. And we start to think, hey, I've done enough. I'm ahead of most people. Maybe I'll just call it a day. But see, Paul is dissatisfied with these ditches. He's not going to give up, and he's not going to plateau. What is Paul's desire? What did he say in verse 10? His desire is to know Christ. And his passion and desire to know Christ in a deeper, fuller sense propels him forward so that he can experience even more of it. And he says he is not going to stop running the race. Until when? Until he stands with all of God's people on the final day across the finish line because of Jesus Christ. So here's what I want you to hear from this first three verses, from 12 through 14. To know Christ requires us to be dissatisfied with the present and thereby enable ourselves to press on towards the finish line. To know Christ requires us to be dissatisfied with the past and with our present. And press on 
to what God has in store for us in the days ahead. Now, those who have been investing in their relationship with the Lord, like Paul has, will understand this truth. And those in the church in Philippi would, would agree with Paul. And he knows that they're there. And in verse 15, he refers to them as the mature, meaning those who have made reasonable progress in this spiritual growth, in this, this journey, this race that they're on towards the finish line of heaven. But then in verse 16, he also provides a hint that not everybody's on the same page, that, that not everybody necessarily agrees with this and is at the same place spiritually in their own journeys. Now, it gives us the idea that there are some people who think they signed up for a 5K fun run. And here's Paul speaking of a lifelong marathon. What do we do with that? There's some people who are not really interested in the whole exercise part of the journey. They're more like, oh, I'm just here for the social club. I'm, I'm here because I like to wear the fun clothes and I like to be part of a club. And there are others, as Paul calls the mature, who share his perspective. And, and they are training hard and they are putting forward maximum effort. And they are seeing more advanced results. Now, Paul trusts that regardless of where a person falls on this spiritual continuum of growth and maturity, Paul trusts that if they just keep running, just keep, that's his advice to them, just keep running the race. Don't plateau, don't quit, don't stop, don't slow down. Just keep running that their relationship with Christ will deepen and the gaps and the questions and the challenges that may exist when you bring all these people together will resolve themselves as God reveals truth to each and every single one of them. Uh, but, but this leads to Paul's second concern. Remember I said at the start that Paul had two concerns. One was that people would think he had already spiritually arrived. But the second concern is now about him encouraging them on the manner, on how they are to keep running. Because he, he needs to make sure that as they are running, he, he's encouraged them to run. He needs to make sure that as they are running, they're running in the right direction. <laughs> that, they're, that they're running to the proper destination. And this is a very real challenge. You know, about two years ago, Nadine and her sister took part of a run. As you know, Nadine's a, a runner. She does a lot of that and a lot of trails that I would never want to venture down. And her sister and her did one about two years ago called the River Valley Revenge. And, and there's different lengths. Nadine ran the 25-kilometer distance, and her sister ran the 100-kilometer distance. And this isn't like running through streets and neighborhoods. This is through trails and hills and meadows and valleys and, and bushes. And the only way you know you are still on the trail is by these ribbons, colored ribbons that they tie on different trees or, or posts or, or even just on logs on the ground at times. Now, we don't really know exactly what happened, but some of the trails weren't marked all that well. And so there was this sense for Nadine and her sister, they are constantly guessing, am I on the path? Am I going the right direction? Have I, have I turned around? And in fact, there was one point where Nadine did get turned around, and she ran the same stretch of the race twice, 5K stretch twice, and her 25 turned into a 30K race that she had to do. And Nadine's sister, who races all over North America, has, has done dozens and dozens of high-level races. She quit out of sheer frustration at how poorly marked this road was. You see, it's not enough to just run in, in the River Valley Revenge. It's not enough to just run in our spiritual journey. Paul's second concern is that they stay on the path, that they run on the right path, and that they know the destination to which they're running. And Paul wants to encourage them to make sure they stay in the right place. 
He wants them to know that they need to follow those who are more experienced, who have, who have maybe run further ahead and marked the trail. People like himself, people like those who have been following him, who are more mature within the church. And, and, and he says this in verse 17 and 18, if you're following along. Paul says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Follow the trail marked by those who are advancing, who are more mature, who can mentor and guide you in this race. But he goes on from there. He says, for I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. There's passion in what he's about to say. It's deeply concerning to him. He says, many live as enemies of the cross. Many live as enemies of the cross. What does that mean? You see, there are those who are enticing followers of Jesus Christ off the trail. There are those who are trying to say, no, there's, there's other trails, there's other ways. Follow me off this way, and people will depart the trail, and it leads them into a ditch. And there's two ditches here that Paul's concerned about. There's two ditches that these people who live and teach a different gospel than Paul has been proclaiming in word and deed. The first one we talked about last time we were together in the first few verses of chapter 3. It's the, it's the, the Judaizers, remember, the, the legalists. Those who accept that, that Jesus is the Son of God and is necessary for salvation, for, for being made right with God, but also were still clinging to the law of Moses, to the Old Testament laws. They said that was still binding. And so in their minds, in these legalist minds, Jesus is good and necessary, uh, but so too are my religious deeds and my, my good acts. And you put those together, and we're good with God. And by doing that, it creates a salvation of works where we need to earn and we need to maintain our right standing before God. That's one of the ditches that Paul was trying to keep his people out of we talked about last time. You can go back and watch that service uh, on our website or you can listen to it on iTunes there if you want a refresher on that or if you missed it. That's the one ditch, the ditch of the legalists who overemphasize the law. Well, on the other side of the road is another ditch, and that's the one that Paul's going to talk about here today. And this is the ditch where we find the libertines, or what some people refer to as the antinomians. Now, let me just break down the word antinomian for you to help you understand what they believe. Now, the word anti means against, and the word nomus means law. So antinomians is opposed to any law. So they're the complete opposite of the Judaizers who said, no, the moral law, the religious law is critical. The antinomians are saying moral, religious law, that doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter? Because grace covers all. Jesus died, we're saved by grace. If we're saved by grace, then, then the law has no bearing and I can just go do my thing. And this was a prevalent belief in a lot of churches that Paul has been working with, in particular, the church in Corinth. And when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul even quotes one of the mottos that the antinomians have come up with in the church. And, and we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where they were saying, going around saying, I have the right to do anything. That was their belief. I have the right to do anything. And such a philosophy leads people off the path of the gospel of Jesus Christ into a ditch. It, it leads them into licentiousness. 
this, this unrestrained indulgence of passion and appetites. And the idea being, I can do whatever I want because God will just forgive me. God's good with it because his grace covers all. Just do anything I want. But what does Paul say about this? Verse 19, Paul says this about them. Their destiny is destruction. Why? Because that's where they're running to. The path they've chosen to run leads to destruction. Because their God is their stomachs. It's a metaphor for saying that they are chasing after worldly appetites. Whatever, whatever their bodies and their, and their psyches just crave, they chase after and grab. Even if it's not appropriate or not allowed according to what we see in Scripture, they just go, hey, grace covers all. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame, he says in verse 19, which they've got backwards. You see, the things that cause us shame, we should be repelled by. But they are glorying and rejoicing in those things that should cause them shame. And he simply summarizes it by saying, their mind is set on earthly things. Now, I don't want to come across as a buzzkill. I don't want to come across as being old-fashioned, stick in the mud. But, but i got to tell you, you can't just do whatever you want. That's not how it works in any relationship. And it certainly doesn't work that way in your relationship with God. Consider, for example, I'm sure you have examples in your own life, but when I was in university, I was asked to tutor a student who was really struggling to adapt to this university and school academic life. And so I met with them, and I said, well, explain to me what challenges you're having. Like, what are your goals, and how can I help you overcome these things so that you can succeed? And he says, you know what I could really use help with? Is if you could help me figure out a way that I can just take off the month of October and still do well in all my assignments and tests, that'd be great. And I said, you just can't do that. That's, that's not how it works. The same thing in our employment. You can't just choose to sleep in whenever you want to and show up when you feel like it. You can't decide to skip work one day just because you got a favorite TV show on. You can't choose to just do the work you like and avoid the things you don't like. In your relationship with the spouse, in my relationship with Nadine, I can't just up and leave one day and come back a few days later unannounced with no explanation or no reason. I can't just go out and spend a whole bunch of money without checking with Nadine. I can't go out and just date other girls and kind of play the field and see how it goes. No, it doesn't work that way in any relationship in our lives. So why would we or these people that Paul's writing to in Philippi, why would any of us think it works in our relationship with God? It doesn't. You see, in each and every single case, there are boundaries and expectations that go along with the commitment we've made in our relationship. In my work, I'm under the law of the boundary principles of the board policy manual. If you want some really dry reading one day, you can read about that and see the law that I have to live under here at the church and how I do my work. In my marriage, I'm under the very strict law of Nadine. And it has restrictions, it also has rights and privileges that go along with that. In my faith, I'm no longer under the law of the Old Testament, no. That's not how we or you find yourselves in right standing with God, but we are under the law of Jesus Christ. You see, and when we talk about that law of Jesus Christ, and when Paul addressed this into his other churches, we see it also existed in the church in Rome. And, and, and he posed the question to them this way in Romans 6, verses 1 through 2. He says, 
What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. For those of us who have died to sin, how can we go on any longer living by sin? And it's true. You see, Jesus Christ paid the price for all of our sins. And that sacrifice that he made does not give us a license to go out and just sin. If we truly understand the significance of what took place upon the cross of Jesus Christ, it should have the opposite effect than giving us a license to sin. It should make us want to sin no more. It should make us want to die to sin and live for Christ. It should make us want to propel us forward with this desire so that we would know Christ more. Why? Because we are no longer citizens of this worldly realm. Instead, as Paul says in verse 20 and 21, he says, uh, picking up the, the, the passage there, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform your lowly bodies so that they shall be like his glorious body. And we've talked a lot about running today. And, and maybe some of you are even going to be made motivated to, <laughs> to go give that a try and go for a run. Get off some of that excess COVID weight that a lot of us have, uh, have managed to put on. But here's the thing. When you run a race, in the ancient Near East, when you ran a race, the prize at the end, it was a wreath of leaves and maybe some money. But when you run a race today, it's perhaps a t-shirt and, and maybe a medal they even give you. But when we look at the race as a metaphor for our spiritual lives, the prize that we are running towards is is so much greater. See, we are running to know Christ fully. And we are running the race that we can spend eternity with him forever. Therefore, you are an athlete. And if you are going to finish this race, as an athlete, you need to train and be disciplined like an athlete. What does that mean? Well, it means some things that you probably already are aware of and know. It means you need to read your Bible. You you need to find that space and that place that we talk about here at West Meadows. You need to find that that physical space in your world, whether it be a a chair you sit in, the the car seat you drive in when you're on your way to work, a a place in your backyard when the sun's out, that, that physical space. That's you spend time with God. That's where you have your God time. You need to find space in your calendar so that it's scheduled, so that it's regular. And if you find your space in your calendar and in this world and you open God's words, you will find that you have a place in his story. You have a place in his story. And I want to take that a step further and encourage you even to, to memorize parts of what you're reading in your quiet time. Because it's amazing how the Holy Spirit can use these memorized verses to help you grow. To help you go further in understanding the difference Christ can make in your life. And you know what? If you don't know where to start and you want to try memorizing some verses, start with the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters. We're we're going to be done this before the end of May. And if you read through the book of Philippians, there are some beautiful, profound verses that are really relatively easy to remember that can lead to great depths of understanding of the difference Christ can make in your life. So we need to read our Bibles. In your training as an athlete, you also need to spend time praying, talking to, for lack of a better term, talking to your coach. 
You need to see Jesus as your running partner, the one who is guiding you along the way. And if you're out there, just think about that metaphor of running down a trail and Jesus is there with you and you are talking to him. You're sharing your joys, your, your struggles, your fears. You're taking that time to also quietly listen to him respond. Because see, our prayers are not meant to be a monologue where we just tell God what's on our mind and then we turn it off and go on with something else. It's meant to be a dialogue where we give him a chance to respond to us as well. And then thirdly, I encourage you to find those moments in your life when you can consider, how did Jesus deal with this? Like, how did Jesus live? How did he teach? What, what responses did he give to people in different situations? And how can I strive to model that in my own life? You see, we may not be under the law of the Old Testament anymore. We may not be bound by that for the means of salvation. But we are under the law of Jesus Christ. And we know that we have come to be under that law when we look at the words of the scripture when it says this is what it means to be under the law of Christ. We find this in 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 and 5 where it says we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commands the Bible says is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete in that person. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have taken that step of trying to live for him, trying to make him the Lord of your life, then you are a citizen of heaven, as, as Paul says in verse 20 and 21. And that is the goal. That is the finish line that you are running towards. And as you run towards that goal, I want to tell you, there is no looking back. Instead of looking back, we can look up and we can look ahead. Because if you want to know how to live for Jesus Christ, live with heaven in view. Understand that that is your home. That is where you are called to. That is where you belong. That is where Jesus will return from. And you will one day cross the finish line and be there with him, fully known and fully knowing Jesus Christ. You see, to know Christ requires us to be dissatisfied with the present, to stay on track, and to press towards that finish line. Now before I finish here, can I share with you just one more race analogy? And it's one that comes from the Summer Olympics. And unfortunately for a lot of us, we were looking forward to that and it's been postponed. But every year, or not every year, every time they hold the Olympics, the biggest race that people look forward to is quite often the 100-meter dash, where the fastest people in the world race for that 100 meters. And if you remember back in 2016, Usain Bolt won it again with a wonderful time. But there was a young Canadian by the name of Andre de Grasse who stepped onto the world stage at that Olympics and came in third. And when he came in third, you'll see that, that there's this picture of him where he, he went and grabbed a Canadian flag. And, and he climbed this wall over the reporters and pushed through all the cameras. And he went to go see his mom. And, and if you saw this live on TV and, and you listen to the commentators, you hear them tell this story about all the hard work he had put in about all the practice he had done, the, the ambition that was driving him and, and, and the sacrifices he made to get to this moment. And it all culminated in that point. And what you saw 
was not just him pushing towards his mom, but his mom leaning forward, and you can just feel the love and the joy and the pride that his mom Beverly had in her son because she now also had received her reward. You see, DeGrasse received a bronze medal for his accomplishments that day, but his mom also received a reward in her joy in her son. As Paul concludes this section of his letter and actually heads towards the end of it, he encourages everyone to keep up the effort, to press on, to keep training, to stay the course. And he takes a bit of the role of a coach or, or maybe a spiritual father here. And he says that he longs to see that day when, when his spiritual children will cross the finish line, when they will receive their rewards, when they will receive their crowns of glory. And in, and in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love, you whom I long for, you are my joy, you are my crown. So stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in this way that he's just been describing and seeking a deeper knowledge and experience of the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So I've got to ask you, are you at that stage of being curious where you don't currently have that relationship with Christ, but you're feeling a sense within you right now that says, I need to know, I want to know Christ. If you're at that point where you're curious and don't have a relationship yet, I need you to know that Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you. He paid the price for your sins so that you could be free of them and you could be united with him in eternity forever. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That he made a way for us to be made right with God. Not upon ourselves, upon our own good deeds, our own good actions. That will never be enough. But Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay the price for your sins and for mine. And for anybody who was willing to humble themselves and to receive that free gift of forgiveness, they too become citizens of God and can begin running that race to have a deeper knowledge of who he is. I invite you right now to consider if that is where you are. And if it is where you are, then you'll see at the bottom of your screen a chance to hit that prayer button. Hit that button and somebody would love to tell you more about Jesus Christ, his love for you, and how that can be made real in your life today. If you find yourself at that captivated stage where you have a faith and you've been training, you've been moving, but maybe something, COVID or something else, just, just threw it all off the rails. And you're saying to yourself, I want to know Christ. Today is your chance to start training again. Open your Bibles. Schedule a time. When we're finished this service, just stop and pray right in that moment. And remember, we're here for you. Reach out to the office, and we would love to help you get connected with some of the next steps on how you can grow in Christ. Or maybe you find yourself in that committed phase. You're committed, but you plateaued. I need you to hear today, you are not done. I want you to say as well, I want to know Christ. And if you admit to yourself, I've plateaued. I've stopped growing in my life, and I need to get up and get back in the race again. The first step is to confess that. To confess that is the choice and the decision that you had made some point in the past, but it will not be what defines you going forward. It is in the past. Our eyes are set upon upward and forward towards the finish line of heaven. And you can start anew today. And it is amazing how much you will see God use you and bless you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that no matter where we are in our journey with you, no matter how fast, how slow, how, how easily, or how much of a struggle we've had running this race with you, 
that you love us, that you want to come alongside us and encourage us and, and help us to know what it means to bring Christ into every aspect of our lives, every victory, every struggle, every challenge, every moment, every relationship, and that when we do that, we can say, I want to know Christ, and we will know Christ in a deeper fashion. God, I just pray for all of us here at West Meadows right now that we would all make sure that we were still in the race, even during this awkward time of COVID, that we are still running the race to, to see how we can not just know you, but reveal you to the world around. God, for those who may not know you, but are feeling that, that, that just that prompting in their heart and their spirit right now, I pray that they would respond and that they would reach out to pray with somebody. For those who need to get back in the race and have been been hamstrung by something or prevented by something, I pray that they too would reach out and just pray with somebody, even online here. It's a different format, Lord, but we know that you honor it and that you see it. That we would do our part to not just type the words, I want to know Christ. That we would go forth and run the race until we cross that finish line and stand with you in eternity. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, I hope you have a great rest of your long weekend. Stay healthy, stay safe, and remember, we are here for you. I got to tell you, it's still going to be a couple of weeks, maybe even a couple of months, until we're able to finally gather in the church together again. But until then, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., you can join us for West Meadows at Home. We'll see you next week.